Welcome to Legend Lore with Jess and Lauren, where we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Today, we are bringing PCs back from the dead <laughs> with Pathfinder's undead archetypes. I'm Jess, game designer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder RPGs. And I'm Lauren. Reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. Before we get started, I'm just going to remind everybody that Legend Lore is headcanons only. We're going to dive into Pathfinder 2's rules and lore, but we're not here to give official answers or rulings on anything we talk about. Just as a chill in the air and pumpkin spice in the breeze, we're just in time for spooky season with this episode of Legend Lore, where we are bringing some undeadly character options for Pathfinder PCs. Lauren, uh, Lauren, I love Halloween. It is definitely my favorite holiday. You seem a Halloween soul. Yeah, I am. I delight in dressing up like a witch and giving candy, obscene amounts of candy, to the children of all of my neighbors. You are leading the obesity epidemic in North America. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. Enabling it, then. How's that? I mean... Contributing? I just think it's important culturally for children to all get a bunch of candy on Halloween. I think this is like the cornerstone of our society. You can't give them sugar-free candy, though, or they will TP your house. Definitely. I really like Halloween a lot, too. It's one of my favorite holidays, for sure. To me, though, it's the costumes. I've always just loved them. I don't know why. I've got this thing every year. Me and my dog, my service dog, she's with me everywhere. So, And we go and we teach class. We're on campus a lot. So I, I always try to pick out like a costume that will fit her, which is hard enough. And then I try to yeah. pair it up. So I'll do something, too. Like last year, she was dressed up as a bumblebee. And I was dressed up as a beekeeper. And we haven't found one yet that fits her this this year, but I'm thinking, like, I could make her a lobster, and I could wear, like, a yellow, like, fisherman jacket and, like, fisherman hat. I think that'd be really oh, cute, too. That's so sweet. The one that I really want to do, though, I don't know if it's even possible, but I want to get a costume for her that makes her look like a car because her name is Arya, and I could call her, and she could be Karya. It's not clever, but I think it's cute. And then I'd just dress up in, like, a, like a race car tracksuit or something you know oh. with like a little race car helmet i think that'd be yeah, cute too yeah but you know what i you know what i haven't been for most of my costuming times i haven't been among the dead which is what i think gets the most attention around these spooky season yeah all sorts of undead creatures but especially those skeletons and those ghosts the skeletons, are. the ghosts, the zombies with like yeah, the, the yeah. cheap latex plates that you just kind of wear mm -hmm. over your shirt. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. a like a sheet ghost. It's classic. Oh my God. Dude, do you remember those like those weird wiggly ghosts from like the 90s? And you'd get too close and they'd go like, you remember those? You remember those? Those are so I've, annoying. I have completely blocked this out of my memory apparently i have no recollection of this maybe maybe it's a maybe it's not a canada thing maybe that was a, a, a united states thing 
I th- I feel like I feel like they were at like Walgreens maybe, and they mm. you would like hang them from like this little black like little black string, and then if you got too close, they'd do that stupid sound. It was so annoying. Okay, okay. But you know what else is annoying? What else is L- annoying? Losing your beloved player character before that's true. To, before they've got to finish their story. Yeah. Luckily. Luckily, our dear friends at Paizo have thought about the plight of the dead character and, in fact, have options to keep your character, continue their story, if not a little less pristine than they were prior. Yeah, we are talking about the undead archetypes in Pathfinder 2, which let you play characters who are undead. So you can play a ghost, you can play a ghoul, you can play a zombie, you can play a vampire, you can play a lich. For other types of undead, like skeletons, those are available as an ancestry, but for these undead archetypes, this is uh, becoming a type of undead where the thing that you were before you died is still a part of what you are. So like a skeleton, everybody's bones are bones, but if you're a ghoul, or a zombie, you are still the thing that you were before that happened to you. I'm looking forward to getting to the skeleton episode for the Ancestries. That's going to be such a joy. Now, the way you apply different little narrative modifiers to your character, I say narrative, but they all have mechanical properties too as well, of course. Mm -hmm. In Pathfinder, the easiest way to do that is with this archetype system. The way it works in Pathfinder, we don't necessarily have multi-classing as in, like, I'm 12 levels of this and 8 levels of this. We don't really have that. Rather, we have, if you pick fighter, you are always the best at what at fighting that a fighter can be. But you can trade out some of your class feats. You get class feats at every even level. You can trade out some of those to pick up an archetype feat instead. And all archetype feats, well, I shouldn't say all. Most archetype feats begin at second level, where you can dive into it. You can start taking those, but then you can't pick another one until you've you've taken at least two from that tree. Then you can start mm-hmm. going into other ones. Um, these undead archetypes work exactly the same way. All of them start at level two, except for the lich. You can't be a level two lich. You got to be level 12. We'll talk a bit more about that in a bit. Now, this means, though, that for some character ideas if you really want being a vampire to be part of your build this might mean that you're sacrificing a lot of your fighter feats and these feats can be pretty impactful especially if you want to use a sword a certain way you're probably going to want those fighter feats so it's like hmm, how do i get my class feats and my vampire feats how do i have my cake and eat it too well listeners of legend lore know I'm a big proponent of the free archetype system. In the free archetype system, every even level you get your class feat as regular, but then you get an additional feat that has to be spent on an archetype feat. It typically doesn't make you like mathematically more powerful, but it does diversify your actions. Gives you more options in combat, but not necessarily by making you OP at all. Yeah, and the free archetype variant, uh, I think, is particularly well-suited to using with the undead archetypes, because you might want to play a character who is a vampire, but you don't want being a vampire to come at the expense of 
being able to do all of the rogue stuff that you want. And so this allows you to have both your rogue feats and your vampire feats. And it's also a way where if only some members of your group want to play undead characters and others don't, the players who want to be undead can take one of the undead archetypes in their free archetype slot, and the other players who don't want to be undead can just pick a different archetype to add to their character. We did this in our home game where I was playing a vampire pirate. So I was using the gunslinger chassis and then just taking vampire for my free archetype. And then I also mixed in some champion dedication just because I wanted to be the champion of Besmara, you know? It it works really well, though. It's really good. Yeah. So undead and Golarian. There's a skeleton in every dungeon, but if you want to be an undead player, if you want to... Have your character be from somewhere where maybe undead are a little bit more common. Where are you going to be from? There are places where you can just straight up be a citizen zombie, you know, an upstanding member of of the ghostly class, right? The main one that comes to mind is Geb, right? Geb was a kingdom forged way back in the Age of Destiny. Maybe we'll cover it later, not in this episode, by a necromancer who you may have heard of. One of incredible power, insidious vision, Geb, who is now renowned for the land of the undead that he rules and has named after. What is that? Eponymous? The eponymous Geb? That's close enough. Yeah. Close enough. And in Geb, there are whole plantations filled with zombie laborers for, you know, the lower class. And in the upper class, I must assume, I don't know if this is written, but there must be, like, vampire nobles or lords. There's so much going on in Geb, but all of it smells a little of rot. Yeah, Geb is really interesting because they have, like, ample fields where they grow food that they use to trade with other nations because none of the citizens of Geb, because they're all undead, none of them need to eat any of the food that they grow. So instead, they grow all of this food that they then use to uh, build their like international relations with other nations. And so like Geb is famous for his feud with the Archmage Nex. Geb rules a kingdom called Geb. Nex used to rule a kingdom called Nex. And Nex uh, disappeared like a long time ago but now uh, in the contemporary age Geb actually trades most of the food that is eaten in Nex to that nation and so they are reliant on the nation of Geb to feed their population now I'm pretty sure that you're allowed to be among the living in Geb Mm -hmm. but you're not like gonna be safe and you're not gonna be like a first class citizen you know, yeah, I it's think, just not going to happen. I th- yeah, I think that's right. I think if you are among the living in Geb, you are kind of a member of the underclass. And so Geb is one of the nations in Golarion that is ruled by an undead. Not just a nation where undead can be found, but the ruler of Geb, Geb himself, is a necromancer and a ghost. So, hey Jess, how is Geb just like one of those Silicon Valley tech bros? I mean, he certainly has the solution to every other nation's problem, and that's uh, underpaid labor. That's true. But he can frequently be heard saying, 
to invest in crypt. It is the future. <laughs> do you do you get it? Just you get I it. I do. I do get it. Listeners, I don't hear Jess laughing, so I don't think she gets it. I'm sorry. I laughed. I think Audacity picked it up, but I don't think Discord did. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Yeah, I'm sorry. That that is not my joke. That is friend of the network Mark Seifter's joke. Uh, we just wanted to include it because it's horrible. You know, there's another place and another another famous undead that where the lands are quite haunted by the unalive. In yeah, fact, I so think it used to be known as Last Wall. That's right. Where Last Wall used to stand is now a region known as the Gravelands which is an undead haunted wasteland and all that remains of the once proud nation of crusaders and knights. And the Graveland is, I guess, ruled over and was destroyed by Tarbafon the Whispering Tyrant, who is a lich. Is he the primary antagonist of Pathfinder? I think that would be fair to say. I think so, too. The Whispering Tyrant, we don't like him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty close to the Gravelands, we have Ustaloth, like this classic, like, Transylvania land of the vampires and the downtrodden humans, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's known as the Immortal Principality of Ustaloth. It is a, fro- a f- frog shroud. It's a fog-shrouded nation of countless horrors, a once proud realm that has suffered under the clawed hands of the Whispering Tyrant. Yeah, Ustalov is no longer ruled over by Tarbafon, but when he originally rose as a lich, he conquered Ustalov and ruled over the nation for a period of about 600 years. I know that there's some undead in Osirion, but like this is one of the Galarian nations that I know like the least about. Yeah, Osirion is one of the oldest human nations that still exists in the Inner Sea. But it is a powerful nation and it has remained influential basically since Earthfall. And Osirion has traditions of magic that they practice. Uh, of spells where you would use spells that can't normally affect undead to influence, control, and destroy them. Particularly in like Pathfinder 1st edition, a lot of those character options for the metamagic feats that let your mind-affecting spells affect undead. In the lore, that was all Osirian magic. And Osirian is also the origin of the papyrus scrolls known as the Book of the Dead, which can be found in the collections of Osirian archmages. And this also ties back to Geb. Geb is a necromancer who practices magic, specifically ancient Osirian necromancy. Oh, interesting. I love the way... Golarian has been fleshed out for so long such that mm-hmm. we have all these different ties between the nations and the cultures. There are, it's Golarian's so rich and it's just it's a joy to play in. Back in the w- Mwangi Expanse episode that I covered l- with Luis, I got to learn about Mazali, which ended up becoming one of my favorite nations from the Mwangi Expanse. It 
I remember the images of these golden Aztec looking or like Mayan looking pyramids and the God King, the deathless child, Walkenna, as this this itty bitty kiddo mummy of just immense power, literally worshipped as a deity and who does grant spells. And he's like this, he's like this this wrapped up fascist of Mazali and it's yeah. just it's such an interesting nation and it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be fun to kind of play a character who's just trying to be a good person in Mazali I think yeah so Mazali is the third of the nations that we're covering that is ruled by an undead so we have Geb which is ruled by Geb who is a ghost and then we have Tarbafon who is a lich and then Volcana is a mummy and those are three like powerful undead who are like heads of state in this setting. All right, so let's say, let's say we've picked one of these nations, and we're ready to build some PCs to flesh out an undead-themed adventure. Or even if you know, our, we're not playing in an undead-themed adventure, our characters just kind of met an untimely end, but we want to keep them going with one of these archetypes. What do we need to know? to apply them to our characters. Yeah, so all of the undead archetypes gain the basic undead benefits from their initial dedication feat. And all of the archetypes have their dedication feat available at level two, except for Lich, which is instead level 12. As part of basic undead benefits, you will speak Necril, the, the, the word of the dead, you will gain low light vision, or if you already have low light vision because you're like an elf or something, you'll get dark vision instead. You will gain negative healing, which means positive harming. Someone tries to cast a cure wounds on you, you're not going to feel good about it. If they try mm-hmm. to cast harm on you, you're going to feel pretty good about it. Additionally, if you are a living PC and you strike down an undead creature, you reduce them to zero hit points. They're typically just destroyed outright, you know? That, that would suck for your undead PC. So instead of being destroyed outright, you're just knocked out and you do the normal dying rules when you reach zero hit points. On top of that, there are other benefits to already being dead, such as being immune to death effects. Now, there's a bit of caveat here. You would think that this means any spell with the death trait, you're just kind of immune to it. But in the basic undead benefits, it's quick to specify that the only thing you're really immune to when it's talking about death effects is just the you failed you instantly die but if a spell does damage like poison damage from cloud kill or if it does mental damage from phantasmal killer you still gotta you still gotta unlive with all that like you can't get rid of it but the parts of like phantasmal killer or finger of death that say you die outright yeah you're immune to that part now, luckily, a lot of these spells also come with negative energy damage, which is going to heal you. So you're not necessarily getting the short end of the stick, but you aren't getting like immune to cloud kill either, you know? And to help you with cloud kill, to help you with a lot of these effects, all undead archetypes, just from getting the basic, you know, the second level undead feat, you get plus one to your saves against disease and poison. That might not sound like a lot if you're coming from a game like 5th edition, but in Pathfinder 2nd edition, a plus one is a lot. And even more so when you move up to your advanced undead benefits, if you choose to do so. That will increase to a plus two 
against your diseases and poisons, and you'll even gain poison resistance equal to half your level. Now, all of the undead archetypes have a way of getting to these advanced undead benefits, and they're typically going to be in the form of not typically, they're all in the form of another archetype feat that you take available at 6th level, <clears throat> 14 if you're a lich. And on top of getting the plus 2 to disease and poison, on top of getting the poison resistance equal to half your level, you're also going to get, for being advanced undead, a plus 1 circumstance bonus on saving throws against things that would paralyze you or anything that would make you sleep. And if you don't already have dark vision, you're getting dark vision. Now, this is just, I've just outlined here the advanced undead benefits. That sixth level feat that all of these archetypes can take, they're also going to get something tailored for that archetype that we're going to talk about soon. So, one of our listener questions here um, Brian Lane asked Does my undead character still bleed, breathe, or become sickened? Because none of what we read in these basic undead benefits or advanced undead benefits seem to touch on that at all yeah surprisingly you can still bleed you can you do need to breathe and you do become sickened at mm -hmm. least according to the rules as written nothing in pathfinder says you don't do these things ergo you do do these things now this yeah. is one area that i'd say a gm might feel encouraged to you know kind of kind of fiddle with a bit like for example in the vampire pirate game we were doing we said that my character doesn't have to breathe so that i could do like underwater like walking on the bottom like of the ocean underwater like pirate things you know on the same lines though what you don't need to do anymore is sleep per se you do need to rest for at least four hours to let your body repair let your undead flesh remit and this lets you recover the way other characters would recover from a full night's sleep. Uh, it's common for undead to rest when the sun is at its highest, so sleep during the day instead of at night. But that's not a rule. You know, Geb doesn't say you must be in bed by sunrise. I mean, unless you're a vampire. Yeah, you, you know what's good for you. You do you. <laughs> yeah. You make your yeah. own choices. It's your own life. Do you know what else you still need to do? You hunger. You must consume. All of these undead archetypes come with some stipulation that you have to fulfill. Most of the time, actually, I think in all of the times, it's going to involve consumption of something. But some of these others have another stipulation that we'll go into specifically with those. So let's talk first, then, about about the ghost yeah so a yeah so a ghost is an incorporeal undead a ghost is what happens when you die and your body is gone but your soul remains you have unfinished business that keeps you clinging to the world of the living and that unfinished business that is your undead craving. You must settle your unfinished business. You're not going to get any penalties for not doing it, but like you're not RPing your character correctly if it doesn't drive you, if it's not your main motivation. Now, I mean, needless to say, though, to, in order to take the ghost dedication, you do kind of have to have died. You know, you, you, you can't yeah. just decide to be a ghost now, right? 
And Ghost is a pretty interesting archetype because you get like a full seven feats out of it. Goes all the way up to fourteenth level, so it'll carry you through most of your uh, through your whole character's career if you want it to. Yeah. So a ghost floats above the ground. You replace your land speed with a fly speed, but this fly speed only lets you float a few inches above the ground. So you ignore like difficult terrain, but you can't like soar up into the sky. And because you're a ghost, and because you're incorporeal, you can't really touch or interact with objects. So the ghost archetype is going to let you transmute physical items to make them incorporeal so that you can use them. And any weapons that you transmute in this way gain the benefits of a ghost touch rune. All of your unarmed attacks are going to be considered magical damage, and instead of doing blunt fist damage, you're going to deal negative damage instead. You also get to keep your strength modifier, but you're only using strength-based skills on other incorporeal creatures. You can't trip the living unless they somehow become incorporeal. As a ghost player character, you are also going to have a bound sight, and then you're going to have your unfinished business. Your bound site is the location in the physical world that is tethering you here. And it is a location that was important to you in life, or it might be the place where you died and where your remains are located. And the bound site interacts with some of the ghost archetype feats. For example, the 12th level rejuvenation feat, when you are destroyed, you reform 2d4 days later at your bound site because the bound site is the thing that is tying you here and trapping you here. And then your unfinished business is what we touched on already with your undead craving, where you want to settle your un unfinished business. There is something keeping you here in the mortal world, in the world of the living, and you have something that you like yearn, that you crave to do here. The ghost archetype section also includes a sidebar that talks about some of the ghost's abilities like flight or being incorporeal and how they kind of had to be scaled down to be uh, in line with um, a, a second level archetype feat dedication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the sidebar gives guidance to game masters of how you might handle it if you wanted to just let your ghost fully be incorporeal and let your ghost fly however they want. At 6th level, Ghostly Grasp gives you access to your advanced undead benefits, but it also lets ghost PCs interact with physical objects after they succeed in athletics or thievery check, and it lets them attempt their strength-based checks against physical creatures and objects. You're basically a poltergeist, if you wish to be. Yeah, so now, Lauren, we looked over this archetype here, this here ghost archetype. What was your favorite feat? All of the archetypes in this whole book are so flavorful and evocative. So I kind of had a, a hard time figuring out which criteria made one more or less my favorite. I kind of just went with my gut. And my gut on for the ghost is Frightful Moan. Because I think banshees are so cool. It's like my favorite kind of ghost is like the Banshee. And I also like the mechanics of Frightful Moan. Once per 10 minutes, that's a great amount of time that you can do a thing. I, I pass up every 
every like ancestry fee, every class fee, where it's like once a day you can do this thing. I'm not interested. I don't want that. But this once per 10 minutes and you just like screech out and everybody's like, oh, I'm frightened. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love that one too. It is so good. Uh, my other favorite though is Pass Through, which mm. is a 10th level feat. It gives you a three action activity you can use once per 10 minutes that lets you pass through objects, pass through walls, like really just Casper around. It's it's so classic. All of the feats that all of these undead archetypes have are just so fun and they add so much to that theme. You kind of just got to catch them all, you know? Yeah, yeah, they are they are classic. They like really let you like uh, live the fantasy of yeah. being this undead. Now let's quickly move to the quickest of the undead archetypes, the ghoul. Ghouls are these were people that have just caught a disease and they have succumbed to it. You die from ghoul fever and you become a ghoul. Now you don't lose your mind. You don't lose your memories. No, no. You are still you. You have your personality, but it is contorted by the unending craving to eat the flesh of the dead. You don't like to eat living. Now, I mean, you'll bite people if you got to, especially if you want to make more ghouls. You want to kill them and you want to eat them. Yeah, this one where your mind and memories are intact, but you also have to become a cannibal, like, really hits on the horror notes that I want, that I'm into. Because, like, a lot of maybe vampire media implies that, like, you become a vampire and it makes you evil, right? Whereas Suddenly you're fine ghoul, with drinking blood. You're fine exactly, with it. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the ghoul is so explicit that your mind and your memories are fully intact you are craven and you're mm. not necessarily happy about it. Yeah. It's probably quite traumatic that you need to do this, you know? Yeah. The ghoul archetype gets access to quite a lot of feats. You get eight archetype feats in the Book of the Dead, in addition to access to three more feats from the core rule book guarded movement, reactive pursuit, and wall run. And then on top of that, there's eight more archetype feats in the back matter of one of the Bloodlords adventures. And including the feats in Bloodlords, the feats for this archetype range all the way from 2 to 20. So you can be quite the prestigious connoisseur of dead things. Mm -hmm. And so to become a ghoul, like we said, you have to have been killed by ghoul fever. And your undead craving is for the flesh of the dead. Just for picking up the ghoul dedication, you will gain an unarmed claw strike. It's agile and finesse. It deals d4 slashing damage. And, more entertainingly, you gain a jaws unarmed strike. It is finesse, not agile. It does d6 piercing damage. And a lot of the abilities that you can pick from in your archetype feats will improve or work off of dealing claw or jaws attacks. In fact, most of <laughs> these undead uh, archetypes and chains will give you an a, a an attack like this, some unarmed attack, and then work off of it. As a ghoul, you also gain a whole entire action for eating the flesh, for doing a consumed flesh, where you devour a quote-unquote chunk of a corpse. Who knows how big a chunk is? Nobody knows. And this makes you 
satiated for one hour. I say, I, I, I'm trying to draw that out because satiated is like a condition. You are or you are not satiated. And while you are satiated, you can spend your satiation to get a little bit more mileage out of some of your ghoul feats. It kind of works like how swashbucklers have or do not have panache, and then they can spend it, and they can get bonuses for spending it or just for holding on to it. The ghoul sidebar is going to discuss role-playing a ghoul and how you as a player playing a ghoul might want to characterize your hunger. And then your archetype feat that's going to grant you the, un the advanced undead benefits is your six-level feat, Grave Strength. And this feat is also going to give you a plus five foot status bonus to your speed while you are satiated. Now, we did get a question from listener Big Tough Owl, who wants to know about some good ways to synergize the ghoul satiated and the swashbuckler panache. Yeah, that's tricky. I'm not sure if they really synergize exactly. Like, the status bonus that you're going to get to your speed from being a swashbuckler with panache and from being satiated if you've taken grave strength are they're both status bonuses they do not stack you will only take the higher bonus to your speed which as you level up as a swashbuckler will probably be the panache bonus but it does give you a little bit more flexibility where if you are both satiated and you have panache, you can expend one of them and still retain a bonus to your speed. And since both ghoul feats and swashbuckler feats can be built for mobility, it's almost like having a second panache or a second satiated as long as mm -hmm. you're interested in doing mobility stuff. I think it's neat. I should do a build, just just a little theory-crafted build on that because I mm -hmm. think it's cool. Yeah, you want to you wanna be careful about which swashbuckler options you're taking and which ghoul options you're taking to make sure that you're not taking things that overlap too closely mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you don't want to do anything that's going to make you too redundant but it does give you those two pools and it does make it so that when you expend one you might still have the other and there's probably ways where like you could probably if you are extra enough about how you are devouring a chunk of a corpse with your consumed flesh action, you probably could sell your game master on uh, giving you panache for consuming flesh. Dude, especially if, as a swashbuckler, can you imagine mm -hmm. like your swashbuckler, you've got like a sword and you just murdered, you just killed some bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. His friends are over there watching and you take your sword, you with panache, not like the mechanic panache, but like, you know, with gusto, you slice off a chunk of the friend, fling it in the air and catch it and roll intimidate mm -hmm. to try and get panache and satiation. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be kind of cool. I can see it. So what, uh, what ghoul feats are your favorites, Lauren? The ghoul, the ghoul particularly, I have a weird relationship with ghouls as a concept i kind of mm -hmm. think the ghoul concept is lame we already have zombies right why do we need ghoul like it, how different is it really uh but mechanically ghouls are really cool like th they get a lot of mobility things like as undead they're the ones who go fast and break things you know on top of that ghouls utilize in a flavor of offense that you don't see a lot so look 
in most games, TTRPGs, video games, you have the common elemental flavors like fire, wind, you know, earth, air, all that such. It's really common. I, I really like lightning, but that's just when, that's all you get. From stuff that's uncommon, you got like holy, you got like poison damage. I love poison damage. Longtime listeners of No Direction and Legend Lore know that, but my truest fave, I've never really discussed a lot about. The disease typed, the disease flavored attacks. I don't know why that is my favorite, maybe because it's so uncommon, but I love it. And that's what you can build into with the ghoul. So that's why I've picked Sickening Bite, because this isn't necessarily going to do, I mean, quote unquote, disease type damage. It's not going to do that, but. It lets you use your nasty yellow teeth. And if you critically bite someone, they're automatically sickened. Automatically. No save. Deal with it. Yeah. And if you are satiated, if you have the satiated condition, you can instead choose to do that on a regular hit. Instead, you automatically sicken someone on a regular hit just because you've decided you could go for another bite. It's amazing. Yeah, there's. I was surprised by the ghoul archetype because I've never given ghouls that much thought before. But after after going through the ghoul archetype and thinking about the ghoul hunger and, yeah. like I said, the implications of how you have become a ghoul, but like your mind and your memories and your personality and everything of you is still like intact. I, I can yeah. really see myself playing a ghoul now it's for sure Uh, sick yeah yeah did you like that so do you like that i did i did that was quite good good so my favorite feat from the ghoul is actually one of the ones from bloodlord and it's a rare feat and it's part of a feat chain and the first feat in this feat chain has like a lore prerequisite and the, the full lore of this feat chain includes some potential spoilers for the Blood Lord's Adventure Path, so I'm not going to get into like what this lore prerequisite is. But my favorite feat is one called Body Snatcher. And Body Snatcher lets you, when you consume someone's flesh, you can also like assume their appearance. You can take on their guys. You can, like, kill them, eat them, and become them. And you can only do this one time per corpse. The effect lasts until you are no longer satiated. And you can only use it once per individual creature. But, like, if you don this disguise in this way, and you just, like, keep your satiation you can be in this body for a long time. This is a a long time to maintain this disguise, right? What I love about this the most is that you're taking the ghoul chassis and you're adding other pop culture flavors to Mm -hmm. it. You know, like body snatchers, that is a thing, you know? And we don't typically think, oh, that's like the ghouls from D&D or they eat undead. No, but it's cool. (laughs) We can use the chassis. We can still build it. That's the best kind. That's the best kind of addition. So because we're doing this alphabetically, we're going to jump straight to the Lich. These are the spellcasters who craft some type of soul cage, some type of phylactery, something that will house their mortal soul so that their body can transcend 
into the undead immortal spellcaster. And it requires like a whole gruesome ritual to transform themselves into the lich. They get the power, they get the immortality, and they have all the time in the world to pursue all of their ambitions, whatever they may be. Now the ritual to become an undead, I'm pretty sure it's somewhat nebulous in Pathfinder so that you can kind of make your own. Just kind of just do a good job. Make it kind of weird and awful, right? And unlike all of the other undead archetypes, this is one where you're kind of going into this with intention, right? Most people don't want to become a ghost. Most people aren't like, man, I sure hope I get bit by this zombie so I can become a zombie. The lich, yeah. everybody who's a lich, most of the time, wants to be a lich. And they're you know doing some vile things maybe to get there yeah yeah uh yeah yeah typically most often becoming a lich is something that you do to yourself versus being a consequence of something done to you and the wizard who strives to become a lich is like classic fantasy gaming trope dude it's so classic so classic but any spellcaster who can cast six level spells from spell slots can become a lich. It's not just for wizards. So, like we said, the dedication feat is higher level. It's at level 12. Um, the prerequisite to become a lich is that you are expert in crafting, that you are a living creature, that you have the ability to cast those six level or higher spells from spell slots, that you have completed the ritual to become a lich, and that you have crafted a soul cage. The archetype includes six feats in Book of the Dead, and then access to one additional feat from the core rulebook, Magic Sense. And as a lich, your undead craving is for knowledge. You must learn all the things about whatever your fascination is. Mm-hmm. And the nice, the nice thing about mm-hmm. the lich, the main draw for a wizard, or whoever who's going to do it, it's the immortality. And that's what you get at level 12. By crafting this soul cage, if you would ever be killed, instead, you just respawn at your soul cage in like D10 days, right? As long, unless your soul cage get destroyed, you're not going to get destroyed. That's kind of the main thing on it. Yeah, the Lich includes a sidebar that talks about soul cages a little bit. And then, because the Lich is a higher level archetype, you're not going to get your feat that gives you advanced undead benefits until 14th level, when you can take Hand of the Lich. In addition to giving you advanced undead benefits, Hand of the Lich also makes your unarmed fist strike magical and makes it deal 1d6 negative damage instead of the normal 1d4 bludgeoning, and it loses the non-lethal trait. And this fist strike is also going to gain a unique critical specialization effect where when you critical someone, they will become slowed 1 if they fail a fortitude save against your spell DC. My f- when I think of the Lich, I don't know... I don't know if it's just the influence that second edition Dungeons and Dragons had on me, or if it's the number of times I replayed Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. But anytime I think of an undead spellcaster, I'm not scared until they've got a gem. <laughs> like, as part of the main thing that you see with them. 
And that's why my favorite feat then for the Lich is Spell Gem. Where when you take Spell Gem, like it, you fasten this gem into part of your body and you can pick from one of one of three pretty decent spells and you can cast it once per day. Like it's not, it's not the scariest feat in the world, but it feels scary to me. Yeah, my favorite feat is Enshroud Soul Cage, which really pushes the flavor of being like a deeply paranoid wizard who is like investing your spells and your resources into keeping all of your secrets and doing scrying and protecting yourself from scrying. So Enshroud Soul Cage lets you protect your soul cage magically and keep it hidden and keep it secret. This is just this is just one of my favorite wizard tropes. You don't want people to find the Horcrux. That's right. Now we come to one of my favorites. Well, I, I feel like I say that for everyone. All of these are my favorites. They're my little undead children. And if these are my undead children, then perhaps I am the mummy. But don't tiss. We all know about mummies. We've seen them in the classic black and white horror movies where they're slow and they're shambling and they're all bandaged up. Ugh, if you enter their tomb, you get a curse. Mummies don't have to be kind of that stiff, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, that kind of sounded a little risky. I didn't mean for it to sound risky. Listeners, don't take that to a dirty place. It doesn't need to go to a dirty place. But in addition to, you know, just the classic, like, deserty, we wrapped them up mummies, you can also have, like, bog mummies, you know? That's a thing. That's a thing. We can have Arctic mummies. And that's how Pathfinder kind of takes the mummy class archetype. Is It's more about the process or the place where you were mummified. Yeah, and the thing that is going to separate a character who ends up with the mummy archetype from anyone who is just mummified as a part of a funerary rite is the key of being mummified while you are still alive and so it's that kind of like pain and trauma that is going to make you rise again as a mummy so they like stick the hook up your nose and pull your brain out while you're alive yeah and the most powerful mummies very often are going to be those who willingly chose to be mummified while they were still alive and that's similar to like pursuing undeath through becoming a lich. This uh, choice where you embrace your death and the opportunity to live beyond your own life and to rise again from the grave. As an archetype, you get a whole 11 feats to pick from. Pretty good. You had to be mummified, whether by a natural or ritualistic means. And if you were dead, you're still dead. If you were living, you are now dead, you know. Mm-hmm, as expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, mummies gain the toughness feat. They gain weakness to fire equal to half their level. A mummy's fist strike deals 1d6 damage and loses the non-lethal trait. And then a mummy is also supernaturally bound to a terrain type. This is, like Lauren was saying, the place where you were mummified. You can be bound either to arctic, desert, mountain, or swamp terrains. And interestingly, unlike the other undead archetypes, the mummy has no listed undead craving. Hmm. If I was to make a mummy, what would my what would I pick? I think I'd pick an undead craving, even though you don't necessarily have to. 
I think I'd pick sleep. I think I'd pick just a good night's rest, you know? Mm. A good eight hours of sleep, but since, you know, you don't need to sleep, we'll say that maybe I couldn't sleep, and that's why I'm mm -hmm. always craving it. Yeah, so it's interesting to me that instead of having this undead craving, you instead are supernaturally bound to the place where the mummification happened to you, right? And so you have this like supernatural connection, this mystical bond between yourself and the land that you were mummified on. So I think there's a lot of really interesting things as far as like maintaining the flavor of being an undead with an mm -hmm, undead craving mm -hmm. that you can do with the bond that you feel to this land and the fact that you are now this undead that maybe is immortal, doesn't age, might be, f you know, you died like a long time ago and were mummified in this bog and you just kind of slumbered there for thousands of years before you awoke again. And from pop culture, there's all kinds of different, like, motivations that mummies who have been woken have desired, you know? Sometimes it's yeah. power. Sometimes it's return to life. Sometimes it's get the things back that you stole from me. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. kill those who stole from me. Kill the whole family of those who stole from me. Mummies, you know, they got different ambitions. They're their own yeah. unpeople. Yeah. So as a mummy, the feat that gets you access to your advanced undead benefits is the six-level feat Grave Mummification, which additionally grants you resistance equal to half your level against damage that you would take from your bound terrain. So that's going to be like environmental damage, damage from hazards, damage from hazardous terrain, or damage from dangerous temperatures or weather. If you're a mountain mummy, you're going to take half damage from a rock slide, you know? I really like the way mummies can get the accursed touch, where if you crit with your fist attack, you afflict, you inflict the target with this cursed, wasting away type disease. It feels very thematic to me for like the mummy to give someone the bad touch and they start like desiccating, you know, right, right there. It's very cool. Yeah. It's very on brand. Yeah. My favorite is the mummy's despair feat, which is similar to the ghost's frightful moan where your existence is just a misery and you're going to make everyone listen to your complaints about it and it's going to damage them. Maybe that's your craving. Your craving is to just make everyone hear how much your life sucks. Yeah, yeah. You you thirst to like complain. Is that a is that a sparkle in my eye? Are we glistening in the sun? Because it's time to talk about vampires. You yeah, guys so... know what a vampire is. You get yeah. bit by a vampire. And then you might become, you might rise as a vampire. In, in some versions of the story, you get killed by a vampire, you might rise as one. In some, you have to drink their blood. We all know what they do, though. They're the creatures of the night. They're harmed by the light, and they thirst for your life in the form of blood. Yeah. So the vampire archetype includes 11 feats. They go up to 16th level. The prerequisite to take the vampire archetype is that you were killed by a vampire drinking your blood and your undead hunger unsurprisingly is for the blood of the living would you believe it that you grow fangs that you can use to attack with 
and they do d6 piercing, and they have the grapple and unarmed traits. You have a revulsion and a vulnerability to sunlight. You will flee from the sun, and if you don't, you'll just be destroyed. You gain a whole action for drinking blood. If you have somebody, you know, kind of like grabbed, you can you can try to drink their blood to get some temporary HP and to drain the victim. Drain is a strong condition, so I really see this as being more offensive than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the vampire archetype and the drink blood action, because you are doing it to someone who, like, like unlike the ghoul, where you are consuming the flesh of someone who is dead, right? So you kill them through whatever means. It doesn't matter what class you are or what feature of your class. You could kill them with spells and then consume their flesh. It's fine. Whereas with the vampire, the victim either needs to be willing or you need to be, like, grappling them and restraining them to be able to drain their blood. So it feels to me like the character types that interact well with the vampire drain blood are more restricted than they are for like the ghoul consume flesh i do not agree i think that any character type makes a good vampire my i was a gunslinger pirate and sure i could grab people but even easier i was the captain of the ship tie them up i'm in need of a drink uh, and yeah, also, yeah, yeah. we kept a we kept a goat on the ship that I could drink to. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So the vampire includes a sidebar that's going to talk about your vampiric vulnerabilities. That's your revulsion to like holy symbols, and then your sunlight vulnerability. And the feat that is going to grant you your advanced undead benefits at sixth level is Daywalker which lets you tolerate the sun's light. You are still slowed when you are exposed to sunlight, but you are no longer destroyed in the sun. And what's, and what's neat about this is for every round that you stay in the sun, your slowed condition increases. Now, typically, if you lose all your actions this way, you're just destroyed. But that's what this daywalker lets you do. It lets you not be destroyed, but that doesn't say you get your actions back. Yeah. You kind of like you kind of like turn to stone or something. Like it doesn't say you turn to stone, but like it also doesn't say you get your actions back. So Yeah, yeah. You're just you need not someone destroyed. to come rescue you. <laughs> yeah, you're having a bad time. You're having Oh a bad my god, time. you're like you're like one of the gargoyles from the Gargoyles cartoon. Oh my god. You need someone to come drag you out of the light. I mean, you've got a little servant. The master has a come home at night. Let me check. The dorms. I don't know. I don't know where vampires feed. I feel like dorms yeah. is where vampires feed. I mean, if you're one of like the what we do in the shadow vampires, then you definitely yeah. feed in dorms. Oh my god! Yes, that is definitely <laughs> that situation. Yeah. My favorite vampire feat is one that you can pick up all the way at level four. Your very next feat after you have decided to become a vampire is manipulative charm. You're gonna mm -hmm. get a plus one. Uh, against humanoids, you're gonna get a plus one to to lie or to gather information or to diplomize them to make an impression. But additionally, once per day, you can tell someone to look into my eyes, and you cast charm on them. It's really cool. It's such a classic thing, and and it it feels good to do it to the king of a nation when he has made the mistake of inviting you in and asking you if he can reward you, and then you tell him to give me 
control of your army. Yeah. It's, it's my good favorite. For my favorite is bat form. It's a classic. Love to turn into a bat. Can only You'll be love improved to see by it. turning can only be improved by turning into a swarm of bats. But you know, I'm not complaining. I'm still turning into a bat. Wonderful. Ten out of ten. Lastly, on this episode of Spooky Pathfinder Things, we're going to look at the zombie. You are a rotting corpse, shambling from your feast of brains to your next feast of brains. Now, PCs as a zombie, just so you're not, like, completely mindless and you can actually play your character, you're instead a <clears throat> husk zombie, preserved through necromantic rites and alchemical reagents. This archetype has 14 feats. They go up to level 14. And the zombie has a lot of lower level options, actually. Like, at those lower levels, at like 4 and 6 and so on, like, you're going to have a lot of different choices to choose between how you want this zombie to be built. And there's some really uh, fun ones in there. Mm-hmm. They're really fun. Yeah. So the prerequisite is you died and were animated as a husk zombie. And as a zombie, your undead hunger is for the flesh and organs of the living. Easy peasy. As soon as you take the zombie dedication, you also lose five feet to all of your speeds. Kind of sucks. Your fist gains the lethal trait. That's not true. That's not how this works in Pathfinder. Your fist loses the non-lethal trait, really. And if, if you have grabbed or restrained a creature, you can then use a Jaws unarmed attack against them which will deal 1d8 piercing damage. This is different than, say, the attacks that we have previously mentioned because you have to have them grabbed or restrained before you can use this attack. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the main kind of mechanic that the zombie archetype works around is deterioration. Your body kind of sucks. It's not well-preserved, and every day you have to spend 10 minutes kind of stretching out your joints, kind of putting your tendons back together, or else you are slowed one. And throughout the course of using your feet, some of them will allow you to maybe deteriorate. You can do this if you want, but you have a DC 15 check to deteriorate, right? In which case you then are slowed one in. So that's kind of the main thing there. At sixth level, you can take the feet numb to gain the advanced undead benefits and to gain a plus one circumstance bonus on saves against emotion and pain effects. You can increase this bonus to plus two if you have not repaired your deteriorating body. And then while you are deteriorating, you also treat successes on emotion and pain effects as critical successes. So you're slowed one while you're deteriorating, but there are also maybe some upsides. Whereas with Ghoul, you you didn't... With Ghoul, you had satiated and you can spend it. It's like a resource. Yeah. You can spend it yeah. if you want. With Zombie, it's more like an off-on switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you kind of have different things. You got to balance if, if you want to be deteriorating or if you want to be repaired. Yeah. But the, the feat I'm picking for this one is I think it's just fun because it has such interesting synergies that you maybe wouldn't expect. I'm picking at level four, Ankle Biter. And... In my opinion, this is one of the most fun reasons to take a zombie. You get fighting bonuses for being prone, right? And some of the penalties that other characters get for being prone, you don't get. And plus, you can crawl really, really fast. So you can take classes or, like, actions that kind of make you trade off. Like, oh, you can get 
a plus two on this save if you go prone. You're like, I'll take that. I'll, I'll use the gunslingers hit the dirt all day. You know, I think it makes. And then gunslinger is such an interesting zombie because then too, like you can go prone and like you know make ranged attacks. Oh yeah. I I think in Pathfinder there is no like bonus to your ranged attack if you are prone, but there should be. All marksmen know that that is where you're you're shooting most stably is from the prone position. But they do at least take away the penalties from attacking for prone with ankle biter. Yeah. My favorite is the feat out of hand where your when you have a severed arm you can use that as a minion. It has the statistics of a familiar. You can use the lay down arms action to intentionally remove your arm and use it as a minion. But this also applies just anytime like your arm gets blown off and then it just scurries around. Quick caveat, it does have to be your severed arm. <laughs> yes, it has to be your arm. <laughs> that would be really fantastic, though, if you could pull someone else's arm off and then use it as a minion against them. Oh, yeah. It'd be very evil dead, you know? Ooh, That'd be so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jess, these are the archetypes that we have to choose from. We're not we're not including skeleton because it's not an archetype, it's an ancestry mm -hmm. in this. But let's do some builds. Oh, I like when we do builds. Yeah, so I chose to build a character. I have named her Nazia. Nazia is a person of very little substance. Uh, for ABCs, this is a sylph, so like a human with a sylph heritage, uh, oh, entertainer, good. swashbuckler, with the vampire dedication. Okay, okay. So she has like light armor or maybe even no armor as she gets higher level and her dex increases. She has a rapier. Uh, she is a frivolous dandy, a poet, a playwright who becomes a vampire. And I'm pursuing here the thematic synergy between being a smoke soul sylph and a vampire who can discorporate into mist. Uh, this is a person who is insubstantial physically, but also metaphorically as well. So Nazia is a wit swashbuckler, but she also has quite a bit of deception as well. She has goading feint, attack of opportunity, and of course, bleeding finisher from the swashbuckler. She has gossip lore and statement strut from her dandy archetype. And then she has Manipulative Charm, Daywalker, and of course, Turn to Mist from the Vampire archetype. She is a Smoke Soul Sylph, so she has the Smoke Soul heritage. And then she has Cloud Gazer for looking through smoke and mist. And she has Wings of Air, so she can fly around. She has Bonmont skill feat, of course, to use as a Wit Swashbuckler. She also has Evangelize, so she can you know, shriek at people about uh, the many blessings that Hashura has to offer. That's the elemental lord of air that we talked about, the one who loves, like, incorporeal creatures and uh, suffocation and so forth. And the she nice also one. has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and then she has distracting flattery. She has the half truth skill feat so that she can lie with her expert diplomacy. And then from the dandy, she also has Party Crasher so that she can get invited into anywhere. <laughs> nice. That's nice. What did you build? What kind of well, character did you make? Well, Jess, so you and I, we have just shown up to the Monster Mash. Mm -hmm. And you have such a lovely spooky dress. But I take off my coat 
and reveal the same dress because I have also brought a moody playwright, a moody poet. I didn't want to do, I wanted to do one that probably is going to see the least amount of play just because, just because you have to be level 12 to be a lich. So I've decided to make a lich today. Oh, you made a lich? And this lich is the Aelor Swift Soul, the half-elven poet of broken hearts, gothic moods, and melancholy funerals, particularly those for young people. She likes to... And because I've picked a lich, I can't... I, I had to be higher than level 10 like we typically mm. do. So I'm yeah. doing level 20 here. But that's too many class features to go over all of them. So you're just yeah. going to get the cliff notes. You're going to get more of the story of Lealer Swift Soul more than all of the class feats, right? So here is a moody poet uh, who, who just... Her heart was broken, and it inspired her to write beautiful poetry. And, you know, some of her other friends were like, that's really good. We really like that. And it kind of made her feel a little bit better about herself. So she started going down this down this hole of writing moody poetry. But it just, you know, but when she was in good moods, it just wasn't there, right? She wasn't able to make a living anymore selling her poetry books because, you know, good times, they just don't inspire these tragic plays these tragic stories these tragic poems so she looks for ways to hurt to emotionally hurt herself so that she can get better art so she can be oh yeah this is a bard by the way if you can't tell <laughs> i'm bringing in a maestro bard to the table i didn't mention yeah. that so you know she starts like hanging out in graveyards where she could be misunderstood she maybe crashes funerals for people, for families that she's never met after they've lost someone particularly young, someone whose story was not, never got to get finished. And using, using the magic of poetry, the literal magic as a bard of poetry, she's able to cast occult spells such as Ray's Dead. All kinds of interesting necromantic spells are in there. We've got Animate Dead, Death Nail, The Curse of Lost Time. All of the spells she's taking involve either melancholy moods or sadness or fixing the dead by uh, crude methods. So I didn't necessarily use free archetype with this character, but it would have worked well because to get up to level 12, I'm taking the reanimator dedication and she's using poetry to reanimate the dead to give oh. them a chance to finish the story that they were cut short from. I mean, clearly, you know, it that's not a good idea, but you know, when you're a moody goth poet, maybe that is a good idea. Maybe you think it's a good idea. Reanimator just lets you like if you cast spells spontaneously, then it makes your animo animate dead like a spontaneous mm -hmm. spell. If you cast them from preparing, then you can just like re-prepare anything for animate dead. But you can go down this tree and you can get all kinds of neat stuff. Like, um, what did I take? I took Macabre Virtuoso. That way she can also gain the create zombies and like create skeleton rituals, which are also cool. They can like last a bit longer. The Bard also has some really good stuff for this too. Like Dirge of Doom. So she can like, you know, recite her poetry and enemies are frightened they're overtaken with the melancholy sadness at level eight soul sight means that she can 
open her senses and just see the spirits of the dearly departed. And this is all of her life before we get into the point of this episode, before we get into the fact that I need to apply an undead archetype. After 11 years or 11 levels of, <laughs> of being a poet, a, a goth, moody poet who, who writes these songs, write these poets for the dead, for the dearly departed, for the broken heart. And she spent this time using her poetry to mend broken hearts with necromantic magic. She's still searching for the next story, the next poem, the, the one that is more impactful, the one that eludes her. How can she truly share the pain of her heart with everyone around her? What poem will do it? And so she undergoes a ritual to rip her own heart out and inscribe her masterpiece upon her own heart, serve, making that serve as her soul cage as a lich. And as a lich now at level 12, we can start taking lich feats such as Enshroud Soul Cage, which isn't super like, like spiffy. I didn't really want her to be like, Oh, I'm evil. Here's lich attack stuff. No, no, this is just it. It, it makes her it makes her heart appear non-magical. It's just a heart with a poem on it, right? We're taking bolster soul cage so that that heart also has like a ton of hardness, and it's and it's just really it got a lot of HP, and you respawn from it much faster, so she can really get on get on stage and recite her poetry and literally kill herself in front of the audience. You know, she can just be as dramatic as possible, and it'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. Level eighteen, I'm going for hand of the lich because you have to have your advanced undead benefits. It's just too good. It's just too good. But also, you know, being able to slow people with touch. That feels pretty good, you know, going up to people, reciting your awful poem, and then they're just kind of like slowed with the melancholy. And at level 20, I'm only taking a level 18 feat. I'm not taking one of the level 20 class feats, even though I love them. I'm grabbing Frightful Aura just because the moodiness of this Tim Burton reject is so powerful that all enemies within 15 feet must attempt a will save or be frightened. You know, it's really... It's just so moody, you know? Lauren, I love this character. Isn't that weird? I, because I, I didn't say it earlier, but I had to bite my tongue real hard when you were mentioning that not just wizards can be a lich. Yeah. Because I was thinking, so how do we play with that? And there's some really cool concepts. I was thinking, what about making a magus into a lich? What about an oracle into a lich? Those are cool, man. Especially like when you consider the source of the oracle's powers, them becoming a lich. This is like having it inflicted upon you by the gods who forced you to have carry their spells. But my favorite one, other than Bard, of course, because Bard's just so weird and out there. My favorite one other than that is Summoner. Just how weird would that be to be a Summoner lich? How does that even make any sense? I don't know, but you could do it in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So yeah, we both brought moody poets, and I thought that. Yeah, was I love that. Which class did you bring? Oh, the swashbuckler. Yeah, swashbuckler. yeah, you brought the swashbuckler. That's so good. That's so. Good. Speaking of moody poets, we have some questions from the No Direction Discord. Our first question comes from beloved patron, friend of the show, Dom. 
would you best integrate the undead options into, say, like a standard campaign without it being disruptive? Yeah, so there's like the kind of like out-of-character character sheet disruption, which you could address by giving everyone free archetype to take these with so that you're not disrupting the character builds that they might otherwise want. But then you also have the like in-narrative disruption where one member of the party is a ghoul and what does that mean for like how the other player characters feel about this character and i think the key here is really just the above board like on the table frank conversations that everyone is having about the story that they want to tell like are you telling the story of someone who becomes a ghoul and then like alienates themselves from their friends because of what they have to do to satiate their hunger because if so, everyone can really lean into the tension that builds in these characters' like relationships intentionally. And maybe the final destination point for this character is being alienated from their friends. Or are you telling the story where someone becomes a ghost and is clinging to the mission that they and their friends were pursuing and they are like desperately trying to like still belong with their friends and is this a story about friendship that transcends like the the borders between life and death because you you really want to make sure that everyone at the table not just the player playing the undead character but everyone there is completely on board for the story that you want to tell through one or more of the players being undead I think that this could actually be pretty easy to incorporate, you know, your undead options into your standard campaign. If you are a player and you would like to add an undead character to the party, the easiest way to do that is to just tell your friends straight up, hey guys, I'm kind of interested in playing, like, a character that becomes a zombie. Don't worry, though, I'm not going to be super evil. I'm not going to be, like, attacking people. That's really what is disruptive is the connotation that you're bringing evil into the into the party. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not bringing like this cartoonish like evil, you know, then I think you're not being that disruptive, but you still got to ask the other players, you got to ask the GM if that's going to be okay. No Directions own. Nate Wright asks, most undead have unique and demanding forms of hunger that impact their night-to-night -night activities. How would you implement this in to make a more undead-focused home game? Or how would you modify like a traditional AP so that a majority of the PCs can be undead? Ooh. I mean, the, the hungers that the undead have, I mean, they're all kind of specific, but all of them, if you are building your campaign knowing that like you have a vampire who needs to feed on blood in the same way that like a mortal character like needs to eat three meals a day or whatever i don't think it's actually something that like i mean i guess you need to think about it differently because you're not going to when, when the character is all like i think you just need to be ready for it yeah you don't necessarily need to change a lot, but if you know that one of your players is going to become a ghoul mm -hmm. and they're going to need dead flesh, just be prepared for them to try to get it. I think in a game where the assumption is that you are fighting and killing monsters, 
you don't really need to go around killing innocent people in order to have flesh to kill because unless you are only throwing like ghosts at your ghoul player there, there's gonna be like monster bodies for them to consume the flesh of fairly regularly yeah and also i think instead of having a bunch of disparate cravings among your pcs you've got an interesting opportunity to just ask them hey can you all be vampires can you all be ghosts you know, have have let like a whole gaggle of ghouls come running down the street mm-hmm. and then you know how to feed them. <laughs> it's for a little bit easier. But also there's some narrative weight to everybody kind of having, you know, the same situation going on. And it's a great use of free archetype rule. Yeah. Congratulations. We are using free archetype, but you all are taking the ghoul feats for your for your archetypes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think most of them fit fairly well within a traditional AP. Like a ghost, your unfinished business can be something that ties into the history and story of the adventure path. For a ghoul, a traditional adventure path has you fighting monsters every step of the way and you can feed on their flesh. Same goes for a zombie. Uh, as a vampire, you can drink the blood of monsters. You don't have to drink the blood of people, right? Yeah, yeah. Patron Andrew Mullen asks the best question we have here. Which undead archetype would make for the best chef? Oh, I think it's the ghoul. I think there's a clear winner here, and it's not the ghoul. Oh, who is your clear winner? It's the mummy. To become mummified, you are literally treated with rare herbs and spices. You know them better than anyone. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Okay. okay. <laughs> but with but with that, it is time to retire to our coffins for our four hours of not sleep, because that's all we have for you today. Enjoy the spooky season and check out the rest of our content here on the No Direction Network. Because if you like this show or any of your other spooky blogs or you know regular blog, please consider supporting us at Patreon at patreon.com slash no direction. Because it's the support of our patrons. <laughs> that make this all possible. Until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. Thanks for listening to Legend Lore. And as always, these modifiers cancel each other out if we have our subject present but little to no baseline information. Mm-hmm.